the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the Daily Show Prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Hello, everybody, and as I always say on a Monday, hope you had a good weekend. I think 2024 will present a challenge for to all of us with regard to having good weekends, good weekdays, etc. The attempt to ruin the United States on the part of the Democratic Party, if you deny it, it is because you don't look at truth. You look at anger at Donald Trump or the right or conservatives or Republicans. The issue is to look at truth. What is happening at the border is just one and perhaps the most obvious example where you have people who are dedicated to enabling millions of people to enter with no permission, except, well, no official permission, uh, you have a, a group of people who are not interested in preserving the country. Why that isn't obvious to everybody proves one of my ongoing understandings of the human being. People believe what they want to believe, and they don't, they don't pursue truth. Talking about pursuing truth, I have a very interesting little anecdote for you. Anecdote doesn't mean unimportant. Anecdote means it is a it is a story unto itself. It may or may not represent more than that, but I, I know for a fact it represents more than that. So I quoted I, I engaged in a quote that pessimists are usually right. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Pessimists are usually right, but it's the optimists uh, who do uh, the, the good for the world. Something to that effect. It's an interesting quote. Everywhere I looked on the Internet, it said that the source of the quote was Thomas Friedman. Are you familiar with what I'm speaking this will interest you tremendously. So I am going to, I'm going to dig this up for you folks in real time. So everywhere I looked on the Internet, it gave Thomas Friedman, New York Times a columnist, I, I differ with uh, almost all the time, but, it does, but I'm only mentioning that because it doesn't matter to me. If he, if he said it, I will quote him. And it, it, it was a quote in one of my chapters in the book of Numbers, the fourth book of the Bible, which my commentary will be coming out later this year. 
So if you look on the Internet, so I'm putting in only Optimus. Let's see what happens. Okay. Let's see. Pessimists are usually right, but optimists get, get things done. Okay, let's see. Here it is. Pessimists are usually right, and optimists are usually wrong, but all the great changes have been accomplished by optimists. Okay? So that was, uh, I, was a quote I used in my Bible commentary. Everywhere I looked. So here, a quote by Thomas L. Friedman in Goodreads. That's a very, very big site about books that, that are recommended to you. That's in Goodreads. Let's see. A to Z quotes. Thomas Friedman quotes. Pessimists are usually right, but optimists. And optimists are usually wrong, but all the great changes have been accomplished by optimists. So Goodreads and A to Z quotes, and McKinsey and Company, and let's see, who, who else has it? Uh, LinkedIn, <laughs> Reddit, uh, everybody. So I, I, am, I have said to you, and it sounds bizarre, and I, I don't really care because it's true, I have what can be described as almost an erotic attraction to truth. Truth is everything. So I was simply interested because I, if I'm putting this quote into my the Bible commentary, then I need to give it the proper attribution. Um, I'm a very big stickler on that. I am the opposite of Claudine Gay. Uh, I, I am fanatical about not plagiarizing for moral reasons, not, not even legal reasons. So I have to find out the source of the quote. So fine, if Thomas Friedman, whom I don't particularly care for, is the source, so what? It's a good quote. I'll use it. I can't use it without attributing it to the author of the quote. So I, I simply did a search on the New York Times archives, which you would think Goodreads and LinkedIn and all these others would do if they're giving quotes, right? Like, where did he say it? Well, I found it. And you know what he said? As someone much smarter than I once said, and then he gives the quote. It is not from Thomas Friedman. Thomas Friedman never claimed it was from Thomas Friedman. Thomas Friedman himself said it was from somebody else. We don't know who it was from. This, this is a very disturbing thing. Very, very disturbing that a a quotation site does not look up the source of the quotation. What the hell are they there for? It's the one thing they do, and they don't do it well. Someone uh, dear to me, and my wife and I 
uh, we had a, a very interesting and, I guess, sad discussion with her over the weekend. A truly good soul. And she said, I, I simply don't know what to believe. And Americans didn't say that 50 years ago. Historians had a commitment to truth. Anthropologists did, sociologists did. There was a commitment to truth. It doesn't mean every American told the truth. For those of you who went to college and don't understand the purpose of a generalization... I just needed to add that. There was a commitment to truth greater than today. Let's put it that way. Because the left was not that powerful then. And truth is not a left-wing value. It's a liberal value and a conservative value. And liberals who tend left would, would similarly not have a, a commitment to it. What I'm about to say may, uh, be, may surprise many of you, and I, and I would totally understand if it did, and it's one, a rare area where I differ with someone very dear to me, but the more I have read about the Kennedy assassination, the more I have wondered if we have been told the whole truth. I'll just leave it at that. Truth. But this this Friedman quote is such a perfect example. He himself said, I am not the source of this quote. But everywhere he is given as the source of the quote. I I really, I do sympathize with people. The issue that I, we had the discussion with this wonderful person in our lives was global warming and, and climate change and so on. And she said, and I, and I get it, I don't know whom to believe. Do you take a vote? How do, how do you know? It's a very, very troubling issue. But I do have one guideline. I don't believe the side that censors will return. What was your favorite childhood memory caught on film or videotape? Do you have an easy way to watch it or share it with friends and family or post it? Probably not. But lucky for you, we have found a solution, which I use, Legacy Box. My family enjoys gathering and watching these priceless Legacy Box memories. It's the perfect gift for a birthday, anniversary, or any occasion, and certainly for yourself. Legacy Box digitizes over 50. 
16 different types of analog media. Whether it's VHS tape, super 8mm reels, photo negatives, whatever it is, they have you covered. Go to LegacyBox.com slash Prager and enjoy 50% off today. Kick off the new year by rescuing your family who's going to get lost or destroyed. I'm telling you, it's a, it's a given. Kick off the new year by rescuing your family's most cherished memories that haven't been watched or enjoyed for years. Go to LegacyBox.com slash Prager to save 50%. Buy today, send it in when you're ready, but you get the 50% reduction no matter when you send it in if you do it now. Go to LegacyBox.com slash Prager, LegacyBox.com slash Prager. Hi, everybody. I have an announcement about my show. It's a biggie. <clears throat> so I, let's see, 40 years of broadcasting. I love it and have no plans to leave it. But I also have plans for many other things, including finishing my Bible commentary, which is the uh, a project of great enormousness. Mo- mo- most people who would have written it, that would have been their full-time job. They wouldn't have had a daily talk show. They wouldn't have had lectures uh, all over the world uh, constantly. And uh, all the other things that uh, I work out, including PragerU. Uh, so I have a lot to do. I have three books to write. So I have asked my wonderful syndicator, Salem Salem Network, Salem News Channel, Salem Media. I have asked them to increase the amount of time each hour and to do two hours rather than three hours, and they have exceeded. So beginning, what's the beginning date? Do we have a yeah, beginning yeah. date? Fe- February 5th. What day of the week is that? Monday. Monday. Okay, so two weeks from today no. or next week? Wow, next week is February 5th. I told you January speeds oh, by. January 29th. It's January 29th? Holy Maloney. So as of next Monday, I will be broadcasting two hours, but I will be starting the show at the top of the hour, wherever your time zone is. So if you're in the Pacific time zone, it will be 9 and 10 instead of 9.07 and 10.07. So I'm adding essentially seven minutes, six to seven minutes of talk each hour, which is considerable, truly considerable. And they will be going for two hours. If you are on the Eastern time zone, I will be going from noon to two, but starting at noon, not 12.06 or 12.07. So I hope you make a note of that. The added time each hour, it's so much added time that it actually totals an hour of added time over the course of any week, an hour more of talk. So I wanted you to know that, and that, of course, as always, you can hear every hour at PragerTopia, and I strongly recommend PragerTopia+. Plus. You will get each month a to get to hang out with me, so to speak. Let's call it the Prager Hangout, for lack of a better term, where I take questions that you send in, and it's just for you. No one else uh, will 
be privy to that particular broadcast. Again, next Monday, starting at 00, zero not at zero, 06 or 07 after the hour. Please note that. Because if you tune in regular time, you will have missed six minutes of my talking. Okay. People of color can't be racist against whites. University of Wisconsin-Madison teaches law students. There are some things that are new, like men can be women. That's new. But much of what the left says, that they lie, this is just a lie. A black cannot be a racist is a lie. It's stupid. It's not just a lie. It's just stupid. But I heard this in, in when I was in graduate school. I heard this. This was one of the many reasons that I knew very early in my life I wasn't a leftist. I thought I was a liberal. I still think I'm a liberal in the classic sense of the word. Liberals aren't liberal, but I'm liberal. Most conservatives are liberal. It's one of the great ironies of, of our time. But I heard this then. Blacks can't be racist. Because the left is, does not ask what is true. They ask what furthers our cause. So here, here is from the College Fix, one of the great websites that exists. A mandatory diversity training at the University of Wisconsin-Madison teaches students, quote, people of color, unquote, cannot be racist against white people. The first-year law student training developed by consultant Deborah Lee, also says it is racist for someone to say they are colorblind. Right? We're having an author of a book, The Virtue of Colorblindness, on (laughs) later in the show. It's racist to say you're colorblind. it, it It is the world of the lie, the left the world of the lie, and only college, by and large, only college-educated people believe these lies. The ease with which people can be told that black is white, green is yellow, two and two is six, the, is, very, is very scary. You know, have, have many, I'm sure many of you have seen uh, videos of North Koreans weeping beyond words when the last despicable leader, killer, torturer of North Korea died. Remember that, Kim? Let's see, we have Kim Jong-un, so then it was Kim Il-sung, his uh, despicable bastard father. These are, these are the monsters of our time, among the monsters of our time. No wonder they're uh, in league with Hamas. And... Uh, you see these people weeping that the the man responsible for the horrors of their life, the poverty, the the totalitarianism, the the, the concentration camp world in which they live, died, and they're weeping beyond words. They could not have wept more if their own child died. 
And people, I've always asked, I'm sure many of you have if you've seen this, is this done for show or is it sincere? And I've never known, and now I'm more of the belief it's sincere. People who believe that colorblind is racist, believe it. I have come to believe that leftists believe their lies, which is why it is very difficult to dialogue with them. If they knew they were lying, if they knew they were telling a lie, that's a better way of putting it, there is hope. You can appeal to their conscience. But when people believe colorblind is racist, then there's no hope. Dennis Prager here with a man I have come to admire for his work. So when I asked him, what do you do? This is the title he gave, Wealth Architect. Very simply put, I am a wealth architect that helps my clients accelerate the way they grow your wealth. It's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. The Internal Revenue Code is embedded with a number of things that you can take advantage of. It's what I call playing tax chess. We take the time to play tax chess in your favor. We tend to give our clients unbiased, independent advice across all areas in their financial life because we have no incentive to sell anything. We can't just take your information, say in February or March, prepare the returns and say, oh, these are the things you should have done. It's too late. You need to meet with me now. Because oftentimes, after the close of the calendar year, some of the strategies that we implement in your financial life can't be implemented retroactively. You have, in fact, saved me a serious amount of money. Head to charlesdombeck.com slash Prager to schedule your meeting today. So this black professor, this woman, Deborah Lee, at the University of Wisconsin, says that a black cannot be a, a racist. And that if someone says they're colorblind, it is racist. And to ask for help with not being racist is also racist. Did you see that part? So if you're a non-black and you say, I would like not to be racist, you're a racist. Leftism is a sickness. It is a sickness. People of color, this is her quote, as a social group, do not have the societal institutional power to oppress white people as a group. This is the training uh, wordage. An individual person of color abusing a white person, while clearly wrong, no person should be insulted, hurt, etc., is acting out of personal racial prejudice, not racism. Did you read that quote? May I ask what the difference between racial prejudice and racism is? I'm waiting I'm waiting for my producer to come up with an answer. He's very bright. I'd like you to tell me the difference between racial prejudice and racism. I'm stumped. You're stumped? Yeah. This is the gobbledygook your kids... I told you, when I... All these years I've said things that people thought, some people thought, were over the top, like college makes you stupider. This is an example. Oh, it's not racism, it's racial prejudice. Mm -hmm. So if racism is only possible if you are in a certain group, 
that can oppress... So let's understand. Racism is only possible when it is the group in power. If you're a member, a racial member of the group in power. So therefore, a white cannot be a racist in Africa. The group in power is black. So no, no white in South Africa can be a racist since the power resides with blacks. Only blacks can be racist. Do you, do you believe that, my friends? Only blacks can be racist? A white cannot be a racist in South Africa? Or Zimbabwe? What is the, uh, what is the, what was the country that was originally Southwest Africa? Namibia, yeah. Or in Namibia. White people who want to learn more about racism are also racist. Lee, who works on anti-racism issues at St. Cloud State University, also stated, I want to stop acting like a racist, so please tell me when I do something you think is racist is a common racist attitude. This woman is paid a good salary. Is it by taxpayers? I don't know, is it a public university? Well, it is by taxpayers if you went there and your student loan is now being paid for. What do you think of that, my friends? What do you think? Is there, is there any any th- amount of, of lies like this coming from conservative professors, the handful that exist at any rate. I mean, this is this is truly this is beyond belief. Hmm. Let's raise a fund for her to come on my show. Oh, are we allowed to pay? I don't know if we're. I don't think you're allowed to pay, right? We've never paid, and I don't think it's done. Yeah. We'll fly her first class, though. Where is Saint Cloud? This is uh, this is another university. This woman is at the University of Wisconsin Madison. That's what they learn. The, the upside down world of the left. Soon your pilots on United Airlines will be chosen on the basis of sex and race. of pilots will be one of those two groups. I strongly suggest you fly another airline as soon as you can do that. When you can't, you can't. But it's not safe. Hello, everybody. Dennis Prager here. I hope you had a good weekend. This is the last Monday that the show begins at, what time is it? Is it 06? Yeah, 06. I will be, uh, my shows will now begin as of next Monday at the top of the hour, as we say, at 00. Nine Pacific, 10 Mountain, 11 
Central and Noon Eastern. And if you're in Denmark, let's see, 9 and 9 is 6, 6 p.m., not 6.06. If you're in South Africa, 7.0700, not 7.06. And the show will be the two hours, not three hours. I have asked for that because I, I simply have too much to do. My life has more projects than ever, including three more books, including the final volume, and in some ways the toughest of my five-volume commentary on the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, and it is the commentary for everyone, for of any faith or no faith. It's called The Rational Bible. The fourth book is coming out this year. Numbers, or as it, in Hebrew, in the wilderness. The book that features one of the great stories, my one of my favorite in the Bible, The Talking Donkey. It has so much profundity to it, and you will find that out when you read my commentary. Anyway, starting next Monday, 00, zero top of the hour, I begin the show. And it will be two hours. I don't. I did not want to leave talk radio. I love it so much. I, I. I have many things to do. I could, but it's too. It's just too important to me. So I ended the last hour noting that the UN agency in charge of refugees, UNRWA. United Nations Relief Works Agency? Relief and Works. Relief and Works. Okay, Relief and Works. They played a role in the torture and burning of Israelis on uh, in, in the Kibbutz Massacre on October 7th. It's been reported widely, this is the way in which the Daily Mail reported that members of the UN's Agency for Palestinian Refugees are alleged to have committed heinous acts against Israelis during the Hamas October 7th terror attacks as the U.S. and several other nations cut funding. See, it would be a fantastic thing. Can you imagine if the if decent countries just left the U.N.? Uh, that that's an immediate great good. You know what? It's a new project for me, for a column. Great goods that could happen. Isn't that great? Gotta gotta write that down. The trick in life is to write down <laughs> ideas when you get them. <laughs> My wife bought me a waterproof pad and pencil for the shower. So that when I come up with ideas while showering. But here, I'm going to put this one down. Leave UN. Yeah, that would be great. The damning accusations say the UNRWA employees did everything from a school counselor who allegedly helped kidnap a woman 
others who gave out ammunition and rocket-propelled grenades, and another that supposedly took part in a kibbutz slaughter that killed 97 people. The allegations come from a dossier given to the United States by Israeli intelligence, which American officials called credible enough to justify defunding the UN Relief and Works Agency. The UNRWA said Sunday it had fired nine employees over Israel's accusations, while two others have since died. So the fact that UNRWA has fired them proves that the Israeli uh, allegations are accurate. Why would they fire them if they were innocent? That's the UN. Wall Street Journal reports. That was Daily Mail. Here's Wall Street Journal. A new UN Watch report to be released and discussed in Congress on Tuesday, tomorrow, shows, quote, how a telegram group of 3,000 UNRWA teachers in Gaza celebrated the October 7th Hamas massacre. Hmm. There were 3,000 UNRWA teachers in Gaza. You know how much money these people have been given? And they spent it on tunnel building and rocket building. If you don't know how evil Hamas is, there's something wrong with you, and you're actually a bit frightening, I'm sorry to say. The, the message groups... Administrators, identified by name and UNRWA contract number, are seen praising Hamas's holy warriors and praying for them to murder Israelis. These are, these are UN employees in Gaza. Oh God, tear them, tear them apart. Kill them one by one. Leave none of them behind. Execute the first settler on live broadcast. One urge that Gazans stay in place to help Hamas. Well, there you go. The United Nations. Why why are why are decent countries still in there? Inertia is one. Here's another one. They love it. Diplomats love their work. Can you imagine you're the the ambassador from Belgium to the United Nations? You get to live on a paid you got a paid apartment in Manhattan. You eat at wonderful restaurants, unless you're mugged, and you meet with Anybody you want, people are delighted to dine with the ambassador of Norway to the United Nations. I mean, it's it's too much fun. I'm not kidding. Oh, oh, is that still true? You don't get parking tickets? If you have a diplomatic license, you can park anywhere in Manhattan. I come from New York. Let me tell you something. That is worth everything. That is like having a private plane. Being able to park anywhere if you have a diplomatic license. DPL. That's right. That's uh, that's a very big part of it. They won't have this anymore. All these diplomats will be unemployed. 
I have a friend who has a brilliant idea of a council of decent nations to uh, be located in Jerusalem. And that, that would be basically a council of Judeo-Christian nations. But obviously, if you're a decent country and you don't have Judeo-Christian, you'd be, you could be a member. That would be, that would be something beautiful. So uh, we have uh, we have very strange punishments being meted out. Listen, listen to this about two people. Again, Daily Mail: Lax punishment for killers in Ventura County becomes common. Ventura County is a county to the northwest of LA, borders LA becomes common in L.A. suburb as woman who stabbed her boyfriend to death in marijuana-induced psychotics break and double killer both escape severe punishment for their heinous crimes. First, Sean Shirk, a 29-year-old, was convicted of killing two women in Ventura County in 2019. He was sentenced and freed the same day. Mm, more coming up. There's a lot of talk about the Great Reset and digital currencies. The U.S. government has been floating the idea of a digital dollar for quite some time, opening up the door to the government controlling your bank account, or worse yet, freezing your money. They did that in Canada, remember? This is Dennis Prager for AmFed Coin and Bullion, and for my friend Nick Grovich. Now more than ever in this woke world, it's important to own tangible assets like gold and silver. Owning physical gold and silver gives you control over your wealth. They're proven, stable commodities that have held their value over time. Beyond the overarching reach of government, and it's so important you do business with a trustworthy and transparent company like AmFed Coin and Bullion, AmFed's owner Nick and his experienced team will always provide you with honest, sound advice. No pressure sales. Moving a portion of your wealth into precious metals is a prudent decision. Call AmFed Coin and Bullion. 800-221-7694. AmericanFederal.com. AmericanFederal.com. There are two cases reported by the Daily Mail. Of There's a woman who stabbed her boyfriend 108 times. And there's a man who stabbed to death his... Uh, what is it? Let's see. He stabbed to death... Uh, his... Um, a 59-year-old... His dad's girlfriend, that's it, and her mother. He stabbed them to death. Neither of them went to prison because they... It was said that they did not consciously intend to kill their victims because they were under the influence, in one case, of, of marijuana, and in the other case, I believe it is of alcohol, yeah, drunk. Yes, I thought, right. Number one, we thought that uh, marijuana, that couldn't, it induces you to stab somebody 108 times. 
By the way, if we if we followed this, you're drunk and therefore you don't go to prison. Half half the prison would be empty. So much crime is committed by people on alcohol. I wrote about this in the 1980s. I thought then, and I still think, that the war on tobacco was another fanaticism, like environmentalism. And I asked, why isn't there a war on alcohol? Does anybody uh, murder anybody high on tobacco? At worst, tobacco kills you, and only cigarettes do, not cigars or pipes. I know, okay, well, mouth cancer, tongue cancer, lip cancer, Kate. It's they're so rare that it, 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 you're not being honest if you, if you raise those issues. One-third of cigarette smokers uh, die prematurely. That's true. Two-thirds don't, but one-third do, or one-third does. Okay, that's true. I'm not a fan of cigarettes. But the war on tobacco, as opposed to the war on alcohol... And the same people who are most fanatical about tobacco tend to be the people who are most pro-marijuana. It was just an example of, of the backwardness. By the way, this was a, a, this even conservatives fell in. It's one of the few times where what I said on my show, people would call in and all disagree. All. I did this 30 years ago. Would you rather your teenager smoke cigarettes or a joint, or for that matter, any tobacco and a joint, and everybody said a joint. You were wrong, and I believe I'd get the same results today. Absolutely. The power of brainwash is very deep. Marijuana good, tobacco bad. Get addicted to nicotine. So what? And that's only true for cigarettes. It has nothing to do with cigars or pipe. So now it's now it's amazing. Now, oh, the guy was drunk, so he stabbed his father's girlfriend and her mother. Stabbed them to death. What is it like to be stabbed to death? I don't know. But it's, it's a very, very, very terrifying thought. Sean Omelia said, I feel the judge displayed bias on a level I've never seen before. After Spacher's sentencing, where her son's killer was hit with just two years of probation. (laughs) Yeah. Her son was murdered by this woman high on marijuana, which, of course, is harmless. So, you see, here is where I'm guided by the most important books ever written, the five books of the Torah. That's why I'm doing my Rational Bible series on it. And I make the point in Exodus, there is a law that if if an ox gores a man to death, the ox is put to death. And I, I prove from other parts of the Torah that the reason is not because it's a dangerous, necessarily a dangerous animal, so you put it down. 
It's because it killed a man, it killed a human being, and cannot live, even an ox. One of the most memorable calls of my whole career in radio was the woman who called me to tell me that she had an ostrich farm inherited from her father. And her father had been kicked to death by one of the ostriches. And I said, did you put the ostrich down? No, 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 still still living. So I say, I'm just curious, do you say to visitors to your home and farm, oh, you see that ostrich over there? That's the one that killed my dad. We don't take killing seriously. We don't. We don't take murder seriously. It started with the opposition to capital punishment, even for an Eichmann. And now you have the results. Oh, this guy was drunk, killed his father's girlfriend and the girlfriend's mother. He was drunk. Okay, no sentence. January 6th, you get years, 20 years in some cases. Ah, but if you actually murdered someone while drunk, let you go. Bet you the judge here was very much in agreement with the January 6th sentences. As you know, Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of their life. So, he didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow. Mike created the Giza Dream Bed Sheets. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. It's ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. Mike's Giza Sheets come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. Giza Dream Sheets come in a variety of sizes and colors. Mike's latest incredible deal is the sale of the year. For a limited time, you'll receive 50% off the Giza Dream Sheets. You will receive a set for as low as $29.98. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the Radio Podcast Square, use the promo code Prager. There you'll find not only this offer, but also deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow 2.0 mattress topper, MyPillow kitchen towel sets, and now even flannel sheets, and so much more. Call 800-761-6302, use the promo code Prager. Go to MyPillow.com, make sure you use the promo code Prager. Okay, all right. Why do I bring you the story of the ox? The ox isn't responsible. I'm talking about the law in the book of Exodus. You put an ox to death if it gored a a person, killed a person. There's another law in Deuteronomy, the fifth of the five books of the Torah, the fifth book of the Bible. It's an amazing law. If a dead body is found near your, your, your little town, your village, a big ceremony takes place because the fact that somebody was killed and nobody knew about it and nobody stopped it bothers the Torah, bothers God. The first, one of the first seven laws that God gives all of humanity is that if a person deliberately murders a person, they shall be put to death by human beings, not by God. The taking of human life 
is spectacularly serious an issue. But it isn't in the post-biblical civilization in which we live. Well, you were high on marijuana. That's right. The ox gets killed, but you don't. Oh, and you, you killed your father's girlfriend and her mother? Uh, you, you were drunk. Imagine that. You were drunk? You know how many people commit evil while drunk? Thank God. I also find it a little hard to believe anyway, this drunk defense. The vast majority of you either have been drunk or knew someone who was. Doesn't it take a special type of person to murder while drunk? Is an otherwise wonderful human being going to stab a person to death because he he got drunk? Well, the defendant's attorneys, this is the case with the woman who was on, uh, on, on marijuana, high on marijuana. She wasn't even sentenced to prison for involuntary manslaughter. She was just released. She never went. January 6th people who just showed up at the Capitol, oh, they're, they're doomed. We have a sick justice system. I, I finally agree with the left on that one for totally opposite reasons. But yes, it's a, it is a criminal justice system. It, that's a perfectly appropriate term. A few months before this one, a different judge, Ventura County's Ryan, Ryan Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T, dished out a starkly similar punishment to a guy named Shirk for the murders of Phyllis Porter and her daughter, Margaret Dahl. Dahl was Shirk's father's live-in girlfriend, and Shirk had moved out of their Oakview residence a few weeks before. As a result, Shirk was quick-pegged as a suspect and tracked down a few hours after the double murder, during which the mom, who had been visiting from Georgia, and her daughter were stabbed and beaten relentlessly. It's beyond belief. He was he was hit with involuntary manslaughter because he was drunk. It's astonishing. The decision came after defense attorneys argued Shirk was intoxicated to the point of unconsciousness. How did that work? How did that defense work? Several experts also testified that the convict who spent four years in jail as he awaited trial was also suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder because of physical abuse suffered during his childhood. Uh, there you go. Hmm. Jurors ultimately found prosecutors did not meet the burden of proof required for a murder conviction and instead found him guilty of involuntary manslaughter. But because he had been in four years, he, he was immediately relieved, released. 
Relatives of the victims were quick to speak out about the maneuver. We're very disgusted, sick to our stomachs. That's right. So am I. Three dead Americans. That's how the Wall Street Journal reports in the Middle East. It was bound to happen eventually as President Biden was warned repeatedly a drone or missile launched by Iran's militia proxies would elude U.S. defenses and kill American soldiers. It's what happened Sunday as three Americans were killed and 25 wounded at a U.S. base in Jordan near the Syrian border. The sorry truth is that these casualties are the result of the president's policy choices. Mr. Biden has tolerated more than 150 Iranian proxy attacks on U.S. forces in the Middle East since October. The president refused to change course even after U.S. troops suffered traumatic brain injuries. A Christmas Day proxy attack in Iraq left a U.S. Army pilot in a coma. Everyone knows the real orchestrator of these attacks is Iran, but the president has put his anxieties about upsetting Iran and risking escalation above his duty to defend U.S. soldiers abroad. When the U.S. is afraid, bad things happen on Earth. That's why none of this happened when Donald Trump was president. The fact that you can't stand him is your issue, and you may even be right. But don't lie to yourself. Things were much better in every possible way when he was president. All that Biden and the scummy party he represents has done is create chaos with millions of people illegally coming in. The mockery by the New York Times and Washington Post and every left-wing source in this country of his idea of building a wall, the mockery, the xenophobia, the Islamophobia. It's all chaos. Russia invading Ukraine. Why didn't it happen while Trump was president? Because people feared Donald Trump. He was an unpredictable wild man. Good! All he did is bring peace to the Middle East, at least with the Abraham Accords. He brought peace to the Middle East. The Democrats bring chaos to the Middle East, like they do to your universities and they do to your family life and they do to the Middle East. Yep, but doesn't matter. People will vote Democrat because they vote Democrat. They don't have any good reason. Reason is as rare in the age of reason as truth-telling is. When you don't fear the American president, bad things happen on planet Earth. Here's one idea, writes the Wall Street Journal. Put the Iranian spy ship that has been prowling the Red Sea on the ocean floor. Did you get that? That was. A, did you remember that line? Sink it. The alternative is a growing American body count. Iran's clients in Yemen are continuing to fire at U.S. warships in the Red Sea while holding a vital shipping lane hostage. 
U.S. destroyers have managed to intercept Houthi volleys. Houthi are the Islamists of Yemen. In a testament to American weapons technology and military professionalism. But eventually, a drone or missile could elude U.S. defenses and sink a U.S. warship. One thing to watch is whether the administration will react to this attack by putting more pressure on Israel to stop its campaign against Hamas. This is important. This would validate the claim of the militias that they are merely targeting the U.S. because it supports Israel. And it would tell Iran that its militia drone and missile campaign has succeeded in easing pressure on Hamas. This is how the, this administration thinks. One of the commenters on the Wall Street Journal piece wrote as, following, as follows, Biden has treated Texas with more contempt than Iran. Great line, eh? A lot of bright commenters. Like the commenters at the New York Times, the commenters at the Wall Street Journal are a league intellectually ahead of them. This should tell you where he and his administration loyalties lie. That's right. Biden way, way more dislikes Greg Abbott than the Ayatollah Khamenei. (laughs) Uh, That's right, my friends. The human condition continues in its pathetic way. Those who do not fight real evil fight made-up evils. That's the story of the left. They don't fight real evil. That's why they're so passionate about January 6th, because they don't fight real evil. That's why they're so passionate uh, about DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. That is where they put their passion. I will be repeating this, hopefully, every single day until it gets through to you that very soon, flying American Airlines, excuse me, United Airlines, that was a big mistake, United Airlines, will be dangerous. Never said this about any airline. I live on airlines. I have almost a million miles on on United. I am in a very high status. I will avoid them whenever possible. They are no longer they are no longer by their own admission choosing pilots on the basis of excellence, but on the basis of race and gender. Why would you fly United? Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. 
Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager here. One of the many Orwellian ideas, like... It is fair to women to have men who say their women compete in women's sports. Or, how's this? To be colorblind is to be racist. I actually cited a professor earlier in my show today who said that. Another one, a woman who teaches at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, that the idea that uh, one should be colorblind, the entire notion... Uh, is racist, whereas, in fact, it's the antithesis of racism. I have proof, by the way. I have proof. If the Germans did not see race, ethnicity, or religion, there would have been no Holocaust. As a Jew, I find the notion that to be colorblind is racist to be particularly despicable. But the left is despicable. And I make that case every day. But making the case really, really, really well is a book just published this month, The Virtue of Colorblindness, by a a professor, associate professor of ancient Greek philosophy at Colorado State University. And that is Andre Archie, who Professor Archie has actually now just recorded a video on this subject, which will come out at PragerU, in about how long, Alan? Say a couple of months? Yeah, it takes us a long time to produce these things. So he is a remarkable uh, voice, and uh, he is now on video with me and on audio. Andre Archie, welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. Well, Dennis, thank you for having me. I've, I've been listening to you for years, so it's, it's a real honor to actually get to talk to you, get to see you, and thanks for having me on. Well, to to be totally honest, I'm honored that you've been listening. I really am. I did not expect that. So I always ask any professor who is not on the left and who is public about it, what is it like for you at your university, in your case, Colorado State? Yeah, that's a really good question. So at Colorado State University, I have a history there, in fact. I met my wife there. Uh, I went there as an undergraduate. She was an English major. I was a philosophy major. I ended up going uh, out east, got my master's PhD, and then I, I'm employed there now. So it's sort of full circle. So what is it like? Well, I got tenure first. I kept my head down, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, a few people knew that I was I was right of center, but I wasn't really vocal about it. But once I got tenure. And this is one thing that Harvey Mansfield, a uh, uh, political theorist at Harvard, uh, he's, he's retired now, but he said, you know, once you get tenure, that's the whole 
point of tenure is that you can speak up on issues. There are issues that academics can engage in that society as a whole, we need to hear. Society needs to hear. And so once I got tenure, I felt comfortable. Um, my faculty, they, they're dedicated to intellectual diversity. Uh, the book just came out. So we'll see the response if, if, if in fact, they are committed uh, to intellectual diversity. But so far, it's been fine. I mean, I don't bring my politics into the classroom. I know that others do, but um, I teach ancient Greek philosophy. Of course, I introduce my students to ideas that might, they might not hear elsewhere. But uh, for the most part, uh, the reception's been okay. So you, uh, and, and by the way, I am pro-tenure. The, uh, the, many conservatives feel tenure has just been a license for awful people to stay employed. And it is true, it has. But you are a living example of why I, I don't want it abolished. What's your take on tenure? No, I, I agree with you. And I've, I've listened to you and others in the past regarding higher education. So we might have some differences there. But I, I think that, you know, higher education, it, it has drifted for sure. But I think it serves a purpose that perhaps we can get into. But in terms of tenure, there are lots of other academics like myself I think there's a lot. Um, for me, it has certainly protected me. I feel comfortable expressing my points of view. I don't think what I'm saying is radical. I think tenure has played a part in that. I do think it protects academics who are crazy. <laughs> I really do. Um, but we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So I think that in my case and in many other cases, it, it has encouraged me to flourish in a way that um, I think not having tenure uh, w w would have. And so I, I think on net, it's positive. But there are many other factors that sort of hinge on uh, uh, tenure, or at least having tenure and other factors that make it negative, which we, we can discuss. But I don't think it's tenure necessarily. So, Andre, if I may call you Andre. Uh, yep. I have another question that I standardly ask. I ask professors who are not on the left how they're received by faculty, and I ask blacks who are not on the left, how has your family accepted you? My family. That's interesting. Um, my family's not particularly uh, political. I think they know where I stand. We, we agree on some things. Um, we disagree on other things. Uh, I just sent my nephew a copy of my book. He received it quite well, or at least he's still reading it. Um, probably the large, the bigger difference, and it's not sort of a negative difference, but it's, it's, it's one of a topic of conversation, uh, is my wife's family. My wife is Jewish and, um, they're, they're left of center. My wife is... is That's a shock. One minute. Wait, wait. Let me recover from the shock. As a Jew, to hear that your wife's Jewish family is left of center, I am stunned. <laughs> That's, they're, they're, uh, they're, by the way, I am, going to I am going to tell the world this story about you. Oh, my black family, they're pretty much okay. But my wife's Jewish family, they... <laughs> 
I can't believe it. They must think what lousy luck they have. Their daughter marries a black non-Jewish guy, and he turns out to be conservative. <laughs> no, no, they, it, 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 they're, they're sweet people. I love them. Uh, oh, I have no um, doubt about that either. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, 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 we debate issues. Um, uh, so, I mean, it's not, it's not negative at all. It's more of. Um, so, do they find you a puzzle? I, I think initially, yeah. I think over the years, I mean, they've realized that e- even some policies that you get left of center have gone too far. And I think that they, they see when it comes to certain issues that, in fact, those who are right of center have a point. And so I try to emphasize, uh, in particular, we, 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 we would discuss affirmative action. And I think that um, at least some are starting to see, at least in my wife's family, that it's been quite negative, and, and, it, and it's created a, a entitlement mentality that uh, we're just now beginning to uproot. So it's a perfect, uh, actually, segue to your book. So nobody knows your wife's family, so there's no, and, and, and this is not ad hominem in any event. This is pure intellectual curiosity. Do they think colorblind is racist? They don't think colorblind is racist at all. No, no. Um, they, they do have a lot of sympathy that I think might be misplaced in terms of seeing people of color or blacks in particular as uh, maybe disadvantaged in a way that they want to help. So their hearts are in the right place. But I think that um, like other white Americans who, who might be left of center or even right of center, um, I think there's misplaced uh, generosity, if you will. And I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. I mean, I think there's a lot of generosity. Uh, I think for others, there are all, there's ulterior motives, but I do think there's a generosity that's misplaced. So, um, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, no, that's fair. Where did the notion start? What I am old enough to remember, and you don't even have to be as old as I am. Uh, I would say anybody over 50 was raised to believe that colorblind is the, is the liberal ideal. When did that change? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, I get into some of this in the book, but I would say first and foremost, recently, the death of George Floyd really exacerbated many of the trends that we were starting to see. I would say... In the 80s, we were on a pretty good trajectory, but in the 80s, we had the emergence of multiculturalism. A lot of people tend to think multiculturalism, it was innocuous, it is innocuous, but in fact, it's quite dangerous. Okay, hold it there. Hold it there. I want to, that's a perfect point to stop. I have to take a break. Folks, the book is up at DennisPrager.com. The virtue, the virtue of colorblindness. Professor Andre Archie. Colorado State University professor of philosophy, Andre Archie, has written the book, The Virtue of Colorblindness. And it's it's always sad for me to note this, but I live in the real world. The fact that he is a black professor, I think, uh, helps the case, though it shouldn't, because truth is truth. And colorblind is the antithesis of racism. And we're told it's racist. 
So my first question on this subject was, when did this idea begin since I was raised properly by liberals that the whole point was to be colorblind? So you were saying that it started with multiculturalism. And that was when in the 70s? When, when, when did that... Uh... So, so that was the late 70s, early 80s. And I'll add something else to that. But, but let me talk a little bit about the multiculturalism. So yeah, late 70s, early 80s. And if you remember, that was around the time that we had these book wars. We had Alan Bloom's Closing of the American Mind. We, have, we, we had sort of discussions about the canon and whether or not we should expand the canon uh, should we get rid of white males in the canon or at least minimize their influence? And so what that's based on is a politics of recognition, that it's the group that should be recognized. There are two, two assumptions there, sort of presuppositions, if you will. The first is, is that racism is not aberrational. It's natural to what it is to be an American. America is systemically racist. Even back then, that was the presupposition regarding multiculturalism. A lot of people didn't realize that. The other presupposition is that black Americans, pe people of color can only advance if it's in the interest of white people, both working class white Americans and upper class white Americans. So you have these presuppositions which inform the emergence of, again, discussions regarding the canon, but you had the institutionalization of African-American studies, you had Chicano studies, but in particular, you had the establishment of African-American studies. Now, I'm not opposed to African-American studies, but there's a factor there that I think has contributed to a lot of the discussions we're having regarding race in a very negative way, in a very negative way. So a lot of the ideas that we get with DEI, with anti-racism, all of those ideas were in the classroom, right? They were in the classroom. With the death of George Floyd, it didn't create these ideas, but it, it, it allowed for the emergence or those ideas to jump out of the classroom into the public square, both in terms of primary education, secondary education, uh, uh, post-secondary education, corporate America. Now, in corporate America, that's a lot of virtue signaling. I, I think that's on its way down, these DEI practices, or at least I hope. But it's in education that it's deeply rooted. But I do think that it's multiculturalism in particular that really started this trend. And then we have to keep in mind, too, Dennis, that we have a soft underbelly here in America. I mean, it's race. We, we have a soft underbelly. And I think that when you go all the way back to, to, to the... 19th century, I mean, and within the black community, you had those who argued, contemporaries of Douglas, those who argued that America is systemically racist. Now, they had a point back then. I mean, there, there's no denying it. But you had those African-Americans who argued we should, we should immigrate, right? There's no way we can get a fair shake in America. That was a longstanding debate. You got some of that in the 60s. You got that with Marcus Garvey, right? And so what I'm saying is, there's always been those discussions in the black community regarding whether or not America systemically racist. Is it good or racist to be colorblind? All of those discussions were there. But then when you fast forward with Ferguson and then, of course, again, with 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 Floyd. 
and, and, and the allies, presumably in the legacy media, we've uplifted, we've funded groups of individuals who sort of pick at that underbelly in such a way that now what predominates is the idea that to be colorblind is to be racist. And so that's what I'm arguing against in the book. But those roots, they're, they're deep roots, right? So there are two sort of trajectories. I think the one we were on was a good one. We need to be colorblind. And then, of course, we got sidetracked. It's so hard for me. Uh, you did such a great job, but it's so hard for me, just to speak individually, to counter what I consider to be antithetical to to reason and logic. If, as I say frequently as a Jew, had the Germans been colorblind, race-blind, ethnicity-blind, and religion-blind, there wouldn't have been a Holocaust. How could that not be the ultimate aim is that I only see you as an individual. I, I wrote I wrote a piece, you, you would appreciate this. Uh, one of my columns years ago was I fell in love with America in my 20s. And one of the reasons was my being in a rotary club in, in what was then a very, very small town and now was a serious city, Simi Valley, California, when I moved out here to California in my 20s. And I joined the Rotary Club. I was the only Jew in the club. And what I wrote in my column was, nobody gave a damn. Okay, yes, Dennis is a Jew, so what? Andre is a black, so what? Isn't so what the ideal? The so what's uh, the ideal? And, and what I don't get, Dennis, and, and you're touching on it, this seems very intuitive to me. The idea that we should judge people not by their ascriptive qualities, but by their character. That seems very intuitive. And when you look at the other side, the logical conclusion is exactly what we hear from them. And, and I use this example when, when you, October 7th, right? And you think about the people who, who instantly condemned Israel. People like Coates, people like uh, Ibram X. Kindi. Those are the people that I treat in the book. Their ideology is dangerous precisely because it's tribal. Yes. All right. Hold it there. Once again, the book is up at DennisPrager.com, The Virtue of Colorblindness. Andre Archie is a professor at Colorado State University, and he has written an important book, The Virtue of Colorblindness. And we're talking about its roots why why do people believe such a thing when it's so obviously a bad thing? If I see you as your color, that's good. But if I don't see that and I see who you are, you know, uh, tell me if this is incorrect. And I'm serious. I, I have no issue with, with guests differing with me. When, when I... Anyone, black, white, whatever, looks in the mirror in the morning, right, when they when they get up and they, they wash their face and do their hair, whatever it might be, uh, do they, when I look in the mirror, 
the the one thing I know I don't think about is that I'm white. So I'll ask you, and, and, and I, I may learn. I don't know. When you look in the mirror in the morning, do you think, "Oh, there's a black man," or is it Archie? Uh, of, of course not. Of course not. And and your point is a point that again seems very intuitive. Um. Now, now the, the, the opponents will argue this position that you're advocating, or at least what, what we believe, is that, well, we're not even aware of the, the structural features of our own racial consciousness because we're deluded, we're, we're naive. And so they want to argue, if, if you don't see color or race, it's precisely the system itself that you've been you've been brainwashed by and so you're probably racist you're probably I don't understand of- forgive me I've been brainwashed to believe what you've been brainwashed to think that any idea of neutrality objectivity impartiality in fact is colorblind but in fact by being neutral you're you're inadvertently supporting the system that really suppresses, represses people of color, black Americans in particular. That's, that's what they tell me. They tell me that any idea of colorblindness is, is, is presupposes impartiality, that we're all equal before the law, but all of that hides these racial structures and, and practices that keep blacks subordinate. So, so to make a long story short, of course, when I look in the mirror, I don't see color. But that's what they argue. They argue that you don't see color because you're naive. You're, you're, you've already been influenced by the system. And because of that, you, you okay, practice, right. you, you're practicing racism by uh-huh. your absence of being conscious. I mean, it's silly. Well, silly is such a gentle word. I salute you. You're a better man than me. Have you heard that United Airlines is now reserving 50% of its pilot spaces for women and people of color? I, I, I didn't know about the uh, percentage, but I did hear about that. And that's, there you go. I mean, that, that says all you need to know about what exactly we're up against. Why doesn't I mean, th- these that are life hurt- and death situations. Yes. Why doesn't that hurt women and, and blacks? I don't understand it. Right now, I fly more than 99% of, of, of humanity, virtually every week of the year, I'm on the highest level or next to highest level of every air, of major airline. I, I don't give a damn what the color or, or the sex of my pilot is. It doesn't, it doesn't register with me. It will now on United. It will. And I, I have, I, tell me if you differ, but I have actually advocated that starting in the near future, people, if they have a choice, not fly United. And this is well, not this is not anti-black or anti-woman. It's it's anti-United. Well, 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 Dennis. I mean, p- perhaps I'm a bit more skeptical, but I I think in a lot of these cases, and this especially happened after uh, a Floyd. A lot of corporations, companies committed to doing X amount of work uh, for promoting X amount of thing in terms of people of color, et cetera. 
none of that really ever happened. So, I mean, do you really think that a major airline company um, will actually go through implementing this without it affecting their bottom line? I mean, to me, it sounds a lot like virtue signaling. The fact uh, that, uh, Wait, you, you, know, you don't only think it's virtue signaling. You think they're not even telling the truth. They won't even do I it. That's, I don't think so. uh-huh, that's fascinating. I, I, I don't I don't know. I, I, I it's a very interesting question. The book and it's listening to him. It's quite self-recommending the virtue of colorblindness. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the daily Dennis Prager podcast to hear the entire three hours of my radio show commercial free every single day. Become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.